1: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bowhunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host,
0: Dan Johnson. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Wednesday... June 27th is the last possible day that you can take advantage of the 30% discount off the Trek trail camera. I went and set four Treks up this weekend. A badass camera. You get 30% off using the discount code 9FC30. The last day is today, Wednesday, June 27th. And uh, 30% off. Take advantage of it. It brings the trail camera down to like... Hundred bucks, $101 or something like that. So uh, take advantage of that. Now, today's podcast, we're going to be talking with Dr. Bob Shepard. Uh, he is a physician, a medical physician, who teaches at the University of Alabama. Now, I know what you're thinking why are we going to have a doctor on the podcast? But it's not that he's a doctor, is what is interesting. What is interesting is he has over 20 years of documented research on weather patterns and deer movement and that's what we're going to talk on this podcast today is the results of that research Uh, he turned around gathered all that information turned around and turned it into a book and that my friends is the topic of discussion today very interesting stuff Um, and you know for guys like us who don't have the ability to hunt every day of the season, this is an awesome podcast because we discuss hunting optimal days. And what days are those? Well, you're going to find that out on today's podcast. Now, Ozonics, man. uh, You've heard me talk a lot about Ozonics over the last year. And I'm a huge fan of O3. Not necessarily... I mean, I... I like it in the stand, but I also like it out of the stand as well, using the ozone. And it has a huge benefit in both locations. So before the hunt and after the hunt, I'm using the dry wash bag where I put my clothes in. It just means I don't have to wash my clothes every single hunt. I can throw it in the dry wash bag. The O3 does its job, kills all the germs and scents and all that stuff. It neutralizes the odor on my garments and then I put it on uh, for the and it's ready for the next hunt completely set free then I take my Ozonics into the stand with me and you guys have heard me talk about this a hundred times before right a huge believer in the Ozonics and what this does is it allows me to be more aggressive with my hunting setups Right. I can cheat the wind just a little bit more, be aggressive going in and targeting maybe a specific buck bed or a specific bedding area and really cutting that wind. So when that buck comes into into the picture, he's going to want the wind in his favor. And so I'm going to be cutting that wind pretty aggressively. And then that Ozonics pretty much has my back. So if anything comes outside of that plan, uh, I'm protected down downwind. Uh huge huge believer in the product and uh you guys should go check out the Ozonix. Uh check out all the the features it has, all the products and um accessories that come with it at ozonixhunting.com. Now here's the giveaway or not the giveaway but the uh the promo code. So Ozonix is this year, Ozonix is offering a free dry wash bag with the purchase of an HR-230 or an HR-300. So what you need to do is when you decide to purchase, you know, go go online, go to the Ozonix website, add the HR-230 or the HR-300 into your cart and add the dry wash bag into your cart then you're going to enter the discount code 9FC18. So what that's going to do is it's going to zero out the dry wash bag. So essentially you are getting the dry wash bag for free with a purchase of an HR230 or an HR300. So that's a really good $200, basically a, a $200 discount off of your product. So you uh, you purchase an HR-200 or an HR-300, or an HR-230, excuse me, or an HR-300, and you're getting a dry wash bag for free. So uh, take advantage of that. Enough uh, enough is enough. Let's get into today's podcast with Bob Shepard. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Bob Shepard. How are you doing today, Bob?
1: I'm doing good, thank you.
0: So today... Um, I got an email from somebody. Actually, not today, but a couple weeks ago, saying, "Hey, man, I I just read this book, uh, a research-based hunting model, and I think you should get Bob Shepard. He's the author of it." On this podcast and and uh this guy goes on and tells me hey he's got he did 20 years of research on whitetails and he puts it in this book it's pretty interesting so I said you know what let me reach out to him and uh long story short here we are and uh, we're going to get into all that today but before we get into that I ask this question to everybody where are you from and what do you do for a living okay
1: uh, I'm, I'm from Alabama. I grew up on a farm in Alabama and went to school, did all my education in Alabama. I've traveled worldwide, but have uh, basically spent most of my life here and hunted here. Uh, I am uh, an internal medicine physician practicing at the University of Alabama School of Medicine, where I teach uh, the general internal medicine.
0: Gotcha. So, whereabouts in Alabama uh, did you grow up, or or um, is, did you call home? Because There's a, I lived in Alabama for about a year and a half in uh, Hartsel. Okay.
1: Hartsel, okay. Well, I grew up on a farm down near Dothan, Alabama, in the southeast corner of the gotcha. state, and I've lived for forty years in Tuscaloosa, gotcha. uh, Alabama, which is sort of in the middle of the state. So west central Alabama is primarily the center of where I've hunted.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So you, uh, you're a medical physician, uh, and you teach uh, internal medicine to students at Alabama, but you, you go out and you write this book, this research-based hunting model book on whitetails. So one has to believe that whitetails um, are a pretty big influencer in your life.
1: They definitely were. The the southern part of the state of Alabama, when I was growing up as a child, had no large game, either wild turkey nor uh, white-tailed deer. So I was first exposed to them in the 1960s when I started college at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. That was my first uh, introduction. So I had not been a big game hunter in my younger years.
0: Gotcha. So when you were younger though, uh, living in the South where there was no Southern part of the state where there was no big game, did you, I mean, were you an outdoorsy type kid? Did you go fishing or small game hunting or anything like that?
1: I had one of the faculty members asked me a while ago, did I ever, what did I ever been to a uh, soccer game? And I told him, yeah, I went to one uh, about 35 years ago and I, got over it and didn't go back and I did the same thing with football I went to a football game in 1969 I haven't been back to one of those either so no absolutely I'm an outdoorsman from the core I fish hunt catch anything with scales on it I love to hunt small game large game medium-sized game I'm a very much an outdoorsman
0: gotcha gotcha so kind of you know you you had a foundation of loving the outdoors loving to hunt and then it sounds like you didn't have any exposure to deer until you went to college is that correct
1: that's correct Uh, i had a uh, another student that was a roommate when i was a freshman that asked me to come uh, about 30 miles west of tuscaloosa where i've lived for the last 40 years and hunt with him and in those days Deer hunting was dog hunting. That was about the only way. There'd be a big club, have 30, 40, 50,000 acres in the club, 300, 400 members, and every weekend was basically a dog hunt. And uh, so I, that's how I started was dog hunting. I killed one deer dog hunting, and I liked the football games. I got over that and uh, thought, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah. And from there, got into Hunting with a, a bow and a center fire rifle and black powder and, you know, got through the whole,
0: the whole uh, scheme. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then when, you know, what was it about deer hunting, you know, back then, you know, it sounds like your first kind of experience with, with the dog hunting really didn't capture your attention, but... What was it about that, you know, getting into a different type of hunting that really captured your attention and made whitetails such a big part of your life? Well, I think there's two things
1: that led to that research and ultimately writing the book. One is just simply the frustration of finding whitetail hunting to be so incredibly difficult to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be successful particularly you know like with a bow uh it is not easy it's a it's really I, I just i couldn't see a pattern for when i first started deer hunting i hunted i killed a truckload of deer with a rifle and with a bow but i but it was i, I I'd, I'd never expected them they always showed up as a surprise and i would you know capitalize when that uh, surprise occurred but I couldn't see the, I couldn't understand the pattern of why do these animals get up and walk around in the daytime, which would ultimately put them in front of one of us as a hunter. The second thing that, that caused me to write the book was my children uh, got older and basically uh, encouraged me to 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 put it down on paper because they felt like I had not only 40 years worth of really intense experience, but all this research time that I've spent really looking didactically at the way the whitetails live their lives. And they felt like there are just not many people in our generation that have had that much exposure to that degree. And uh, they felt like that art might be lost on our upcoming generation that has become predominantly urbanized. Right, right.
0: So, and I want to finish that out here in a second, but when you, when you were in school, what made you get into medicine? Was there, was there something about practicing medicine that, that you found um, interesting? Well,
1: that's a good question. I wanted to be a physician for as long as I can remember. I grew up as a a farmer. Both of my parents were tenant farmers. We were poor as dirt. Uh, And they encouraged me to do something significant with my life. And uh, medicine looked like a pinnacle that uh, was uh, not achievable and therefore I wanted it. And I went after it. And, uh, turned out to actually make it. In fact, I could never could have imagined being an academic physician. I practiced general internal medicine and cardiology in a small rural town in West Alabama for 25 years, and then finally was invited by the dean of the School of Medicine to start a hospitalist program at a large hospital uh, in Tuscaloosa, which I did. And so for 15 years, I've been teaching. And during that time, I've won a 20-some-odd teaching awards and got really uh, gratified and enjoyed doing that, and so I became an academic uh, physician, and of course, that exposed me to publications, uh, writing uh, to basically for the purpose of publishing,
0: right. and
1: uh, I got involved in, in in creating an electronic medical record system. I'd learned, taught myself to program back in the 1980s and had written a uh, medical records program,
0: and from that
1: got the idea of hey, I could write a an electronic program with a le- relational database that would tie together these elements of whitetail hunting from the hunter's perspective, and from a database perspective or weather related weather element uh, perspective,
0: and do some really
1: unique research that no one seems to have ever thought about before. And so
0: that's what I did. Wow, that's pretty interesting. I, I like the fact that you took, um, I guess, tools from one industry or part of your life and transitioned it over to or you know, made it work with another part of your life. Was that something that was kind of a, an aha moment or did you have to sit and really think about it?
1: No, I, I was I was sitting in a deer stand one afternoon hunting, and the idea just like, oh, I know what I can do with this. Uh, a database program like you would use to create an electronic medical records program basically captures thousands of little pieces of data about patients and organizes them into certain reproducible formats. And you get to thinking about, well, what, what are the variables that a hunter encounters with respect to deer moving? And, and suddenly you realize, well, there aren't many. You, you go out, you walk out in the woods, you climb a tree, and you sit and wait. And that's about it. That's about the only thing you have any control over is where you are. But, but what really matters in terms of the, likely, the statistical likelihood of you killing a whitetail particularly with a bow, is not so much in your hands, but rather in the hands of the deer. And that is, why do they get up and walk around in the daytime? And I couldn't see any pattern to that. And I thought, well, I wonder if weather has anything to do with it. You know, you certainly have read uh, that it does, the moon phase and uh, cloud cover and rain and hot weather and cold weather. And I thought barometric pressure. I wonder if the, any of these things really influence the statistical likelihood of an adult whitetail getting up and walking around in the daytime and therefore exposing himself to uh, a hunter. And so that that's where the idea came from, was this combination of what an electronic database can do and matching that up with other elements, such as the weather conditions.
0: Gotcha. So when you had this idea and then you said, you know what, I'm going to start documenting all this using that, uh, you know, that database. Did you sit down and have kind of like a little session where you wrote everything out and said, okay, well, I need to, this is the the data that I want to capture. But then as you got into it, you realize that man there's a lot of data to capture you know like just like you said wind direction temperature barometric pressure uh you know we could talk about that forever did you ever become overwhelmed uh and then say oh man well maybe i won't do this no no
1: no i never entered my mind because i always felt like that the variables were were finite in other words if you just simply go to the NOAA Weather Radio Services website and just simply look at what weather elements do they capture every day, well, they're all the stuff you and I would know about. They're wind velocity, wind direction, moon rise time, moon set time, temperature, change in temperature, change in barometric pressure, uh, moon phase, moon rise time, moon set time. Uh, You know, there's 20 or 25 of them, but they're, but they're very finite. Well, what are the variables that the that the deer hunter bring to the table? Well they are how many deer did he see, how many deer did he kill? How many hours did he hunt? Uh was he hunting with a bow? Was he hunting with a, a black powder gun? Was he hunting with a center fire rifle? In other words, they're they're very finite variables that each right. each of these two components pull together. And they're, they're easy to access. Uh, no Weather Radio Service made their database back in those years <clears throat> available to anybody who wanted to look at them, could pull them down off the Internet and merge them into a database like this. Okay. The, so- the, the cooker was finding a place where that all happened in an organized fashion, and that's where commercial hunting lodges came in. I started looking for, you know, an opportunity and found one in this Bent Creek Lodge, one of the largest commercial lodges in America. And they've been in business for more than thirty years. Okay. And they have a big land holding, forty some odd thousand acres. They have twenty five hunters they take to the woods every morning, twenty five hundreds they hunters they take to the woods every afternoon. Uh there, there's two more variables, morning hunting and evening hunting. Um field hunting versus woods hunting you know those are examples of pieces of data that we would capture so these commercial hunting lodges just the way that industry has developed over the last 30 years is you go to the lodge they take you to the woods in the morning put you in a spot you sit there for three to five hours Uh, you come down you come back to the lodge they the guides figure out what you saw what you killed how long you were there Whether you were hunting in a tree stand or on the ground, whether you're hunting on a field or in the woods, uh, whether you're hunting with a bow or a black powder gun, you know, all those variables are captured every time the hunters go out and come back. And they do that morning and afternoon for 111 days in Alabama. So there was the opportunity to capture all this data. And, of course, the lodge wanted to know the, the answer to the questions. If if it turned out that there are certain weather elements that make the statistical likelihood of a deer uh, showing up, they could likely book more and charge more for those hunters, or at least take their best customers and try to capture them during the times they knew were better, uh, according to the weather conditions. So it was a lot of it, it was a good opportunity for them and for me as a researcher.
0: So, you know, the most important thing when doing research like this is to make sure that you have accurate data coming in. Um, because, yeah. that you know, that's going to give you the best result at, at the end. So how did you determine or make sure that the data that was coming in when you started this was accurate?
1: I downloaded it from the Norweather Radio Service, N-O-A-A national okay. Oce- oceanic and atmospheric association
0: but i'm talking about the document like when these hunters would come back right you're you're now yeah. relying on
1: how do i how do i know they weren't lying to me about what they were lying to the guys about what they saw right well you, there's no way you can verify that other than to see the patterns that would develop in other words they can they might fudge on saying how many they saw but they don't fudge on how many they killed right so the question is, is can you verify the sightings by the killings? Uh, and the answer is yes. There is a direct relationship to the number of deer taken, as opposed to the number that were sighted. Or looking at it another way, if you just back away and look at a say a month's uh, worth of hunting data, uh, do the do the number of deer killed tend to match the number of deer seen. Do you see more, do you kill more deer when you see more deer? And of course the answer to that obviously is yes. So you can verify the data more or less that way.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So then when you initially started this, you know, did you have in your head saying I need to do this for X number of years, and that will give me the amount of data? I mean, did when you jumped into this, did you know it was going to be twenty years worth of data before you wrote a book, or did you think it was going to be shorter no. than that?
1: No, I I knew I needed somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred thousand hundred user days worth of data, but I didn't know how long it'd take me to capture all that.
0: Why that number? Uh, if- it
1: will, to be statistically significant, when you do a multivariate analysis to reach the criteria for statistical uh, power, okay. you have to have a certain amount of data.
0: Okay. All right. So that... And we ended
1: up with a, about thirty-five thousand hundred days.
0: Okay. 35... In other words,
1: the, we ended up with 35,000 in other words, we ended up with enough data to say that if, if you and I went hunting every day for the next 35,000 years, that's how many that's how many hunter days we developed, okay. or hunter half days if you want to look at it that way. Okay. So it's, a, it's, a, it's statistically a valid
0: database. Gotcha. Okay. So just like any type of data gathering, especially on a mass scale like what you're doing, did you run into any problems or have to adapt to any uh, changes, not only either with technology or or the way people hunt? That's a tough one.
1: You're asking me, did computers change from nineteen eighty five to nine to the year two thousand fifteen? Yeah. Did the internet come into existence and weigh up on how I captured this data? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've I've been alive and using computers for decades before the internet existed, so Did I take advantage of it to be able to capture this data in a simpler, easier, more reliable fashion instead of hand copying it when those databases came available online? Absolutely. I I utilized those technologies as they came available.
0: Right. Right. So now kind of going to back to the statistics side of things, when you're solving for an equation, right, You're, you're trying to solve for X. Everything has to be the same, um, and then you change a variable, and that will determine how much weight, I guess, that variable causes to the outcome of that equation. Now, how did you keep all like? How did you? It sounds to me like
1: okay. I'm sorry that these are yeah these are these are good questions. You're you're asking exactly the right question.
0: Right, right. So how do you how do you keep the variables variables and then the constants constants
1: all right so that so that the 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 average hunter that may not have this statistical database background can maybe understand this let's take a simple example right you make certain presuppositions uh called theses uh, about the database you're gathering and so let's take a single example you and I would like to know. We, we've certainly heard, been told, and read all of our lives that moon phase affects daytime deer movement, affects nighttime deer movement as well, but for daytime is the most important because that's when we hunt. Um, so, wouldn't it be nifty if we could take our database and look back after one or two or three years of, of gathering data and do a univariate? analysis on that data, not a multivariate. Just don't make it complicated to start with. You can do the multivariate later, but univariate analysis, meaning let's just simply look at moon phase and see if it altered the, the statistical likelihood of a hunter seeing and or taking a deer on a given day yeah, uh, or, or over a given period of time. So the first years went by and we began to have, you know, thousands of pieces of data of this sort. We had hundreds of hunter days accumulated. And so we looked to see what what happened to deer sightings and deer kills on days where there was a full moon during the nighttime hours. In other words, we took moonrise and moonset time and moon phase into account. And so you Combined, what you're looking at is just simply pulling out only those data elements, only those 100 days where the moon phase was bright, okay, full moon or a a near full moon phase, okay, and were were those full moon nights up in the the nighttime. In other words, you can have full moons sometimes that are full moons, but they're full moons through the daylight hours. Right. And when it gets dark, there's, even though you've got a bright moon phase, it's on the other side of the earth, so you don't see it. So what we did is we searched the database to find out what is the statistical likelihood of being a successful hunter, seeing deer, taking deer, uh, based upon those data. And, wh- and my presupposition, my thesis was that as an experienced hunter, I felt like that if you had a bright moon phase at night for a period of time, that the statistical likelihood of killing a deer in the daytime following those night times of bright moon phase was poor. Okay. Okay. When I got the first two years worth of data back and did this univariate analysis on that, just that one element of the weather data, indeed, that's exactly what it showed. It showed that a bright moon phase was a deterrent the day, or it appeared to be a deterrent to the daytime deer movement the next day. Wow. Problem was, is that year three and year four were exactly the opposite. <laughs> so when you when you looked at four years worth of data there was zero effect of the moon phase on the likelihood of seeing and or taking a deer the following day. Whereas the first two years showed a a good correlation or poor or reverse correlation. Right. And the the second two years, the third and fourth years, showed the opposite. So, So after 20 years, my answer to that question is the moon phase has absolutely not a whip of effect on the statistical likelihood of a deer getting up and walking around in the daytime and being killed or seen by a hunter. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I, and that completely surprised me. I that was not my experience as a hunter. I just was convinced that it made a difference. So as I developed more and more and more data, I just couldn't help, but keep going back to the database and thinking, why? why is the moon phase not something's making these deer get up and walk around in the daytime sometimes and yet not at other times what if it's not the moon phase what is it so i started doing then multivariate analyses on the data set to try to see if i could figure out okay if you hold these 13 variables constant and vary this one does it have an independent effect on the on the statistical likelihood of the deer sighting and sure enough, over the years, as the database got bigger and bigger, three variables began to emerge as clear indicators of a cause and effect, cause and effect relationship. And would you be willing to venture a guess what those three variables were? In other words if if you could ta- if you could take days out of your hunting season and say, my statistical likelihood of seeing and or taking a deer under these three weather conditions is eighty five percent and all the others are twenty two percent. Okay. Would you would you not want to hunt on those days when the odds were the best?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Well that's what I learned.
0: Okay. So
1: I I now I now only hunt when the odds are great.
0: Right. Right. And that's what that's what everybody wants to know, right? Everybody wants absolutely. to know uh, what are we the best all days, know. right? Right. Exactly. So so you don't waste your time in the woods, right? Absolutely.
1: Or, or, wor- or worse, go sit in your best stand on a day when nothing's going to come by, and then finally, when the deer does come by, he smells where you've been, and now he won't visit that spot again.
0: Right. Right. So, so you not
1: only don't kill anything on bad days, you mess up your good spots. For the good days,
0: right, right. So, those three variables were all natural variables, right? That you that you they
1: made. were they were variables that were built into the database by NOAA from the beginning.
0: Okay, so I did not
1: pick them. I did not pick them out. They they were they were well, they weren't complete surprises. Right. Two two of them were surprises, and one of them was not.
0: Right, so I'm, I'm. I
1: guess I guess one of
0: them. Right, so and I,
1: and I failed to guess right on the other two.
0: So my, if I had to guess, and and I want you to tell me if I'm right or wrong. Uh, I'm gonna guess temperature. I'm gonna guess precipitation, okay. uh, like whether or not there's been rain or 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 not. And the third would be. Mm. I don't know if they have have this, but like number of hours in a day.
1: Okay. You've uh, got,
0: I'm, you I got one daylight. One, I'm you sorry.
1: You got one and a half of the three variables.
0: Okay. All right. So can you share with us? Temper-
1: temperature temperature was number one. Okay, temperature. And if you want to be more precise, it was change in temperature, not just the raw temperature.
0: Gotcha. In other words,
1: think about it this way. When I say change in temperature, if you're going long and you go five days in a row and the temperature is 45 degrees, and suddenly on the sixth day you drop the temperature by 15 degrees to 25 degrees, you, you that day is a better day than the other five. And so it's it, the change in the temperature that seems to be the biggest driver
0: to daytime deer movement, and a de in a decrease in temperature, right? It's not the same if it goes it, it up. Is, it
1: is no it 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 has exactly the same effect, but in the opposite directions. Uh, if the temperature goes up, if you have you have five days at forty five degrees and it jumps to sixty degrees, daytime deer movement goes to near zero. Gotcha. Okay all
0: right all right
1: that's one of them right the second one is precipitation now so to 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 tell you whether you got the answer right i'd have to ask you which do you think would be a better day a rainy day a cloudy day or a bright clear day
0: who you know i used to think I used to think it was a nasty day, right? Cloud cover and rain, but now I think <laughs> that it is bright and sunny.
1: Yeah, you're you're an experienced hunter. But that's exactly right. I thought exactly the same thing. White tails are nocturnal animals, meaning they like subdued light conditions. They move they're they're I forget the biologic term for moving uh, at dusk and at dawn, but there's a word for that. Yeah. Um, but they they have a tendency to like subdued, light conditions. So it just sort of makes sense that a cloudy, rainy day ought to be the best. Turns out it's the worst.
0: Hmm. And
1: the best conditions are bright, clear days. Right,
0: right. Okay. So now we
1: can say bright, clear, cold days. All right, number variable number three. I'll bet you you could guess for an hour and not guess it right. <laughs> it was it was wind velocity. Okay. So, what do you think from your experience is the relationship between wind velocity and daytime deer movement?
0: Um. Nope. Well, I would say that the relationship is uh, when a, a, a cold front comes through.
1: Okay. A lot of wind.
0: A lot of wind. Okay.
1: So, you're, you're, do you, so you think there is a linear relationship between daytime deer movement
0: and wind
1: velocity, meaning five-mile-per-hour wind is the poorest – 10 miles per hour is better, 20 miles per hour is even better and 30 miles per hour is even better. I
0: I that's would not s- what you're Right, I would not say it's a bell curve.
1: Yeah, bell curve, that's what I thought. It is linear. It is li- it is absolutely unequivocally linear. The statistical likelihood of seeing a deer morning or afternoon In the woods or on a field, the statistical likelihood of seeing a whitetail increases with increases in wind velocity. Still, dead still calm weather is the worst condition, and 30, 40-mile-per-hour wind is the best condition. I would have never guessed that. Man. It just seemed like to me. Every time I went to the woods when it was 35-mile-per-hour 35 35 wind and freezing, all I did was froze my butt off. Why did I not see deer? Because they're moving. I proved with this database that they're moving. These hunters who were in the woods when, the, when those conditions were like that clearly saw more deer, not just a, some more, a lot more. Why, do you and I, why did you and I have that experience as hunters that that the higher velocity wind should sh- sh- look like it deterred uh, daytime deer movement. And I think the answer is simple. We couldn't stand it. Yeah. We didn't stay there very long. And that's that's the difference. The deer actually move better in very windy conditions. Now, they act spooky in the process of doing so,
0: but they move.
1: Right. They'd move around a
0: lot. So then with these three variables that you kind of um, pinpointed, was there a specific wind direction uh, on in this database and on this piece of property that...
1: Absolutely. Think about that. If, if I told you that a cold day was the best day, what kind of wind conditions, wind direction conditions, might you think is more likely to give you a cold day? Yeah. Well, north. Right. So north wind, obviously. So why didn't I single out northwest wind as a variable that specifically affected daytime deer movement? And the answer is, is because it's, a, it's a, what we call a benign variable. In other words, it did not have independent effect of the temperature. Let me put it this way. I did a, The answer to your question is I did a multivariate analysis, now looking at wind direction as the variable, and held the other 23 variables constant. So if, if you had a bunch of days that were 75 degrees with a northwest wind, they occur. But if you looked at a lot of them over time and you looked at a lot of other days that were 75 degrees i'm sorry were 25 degrees with a northwest wind which groups of northwest wind do you think the deer would have moved on the cold ones right so so wind direction did not have an independent effect on the statistical likelihood of the deer moving in the daytime Whereas temperature does, particularly right. temperature change, temperature drops. Right. There was another variable that was very much like that. When I first started looking at barometric pressure, it looked like barometric pressure was going to be an independent variable. Turned out, it's relative to the to the temperature again. In other words, as a general rule, when the barometric pressure is high, it's colder. And therefore, high barometric pressures seem to be, on the surface, predicted. But when you hold the temperature constant and look at that variable independent of the other variables, it turns out it's just a rider. It's just a red herring. Yeah, right. It's not actually having a statistical effect itself. It's the temperature.
0: Okay. Okay. So then, as you start, you know, over the years you were collecting this data, right, and you've you've kind of pinpointed these these three categories that had the most effect on deer movement. Did you find anything that may not be in those three categories that we just discussed that um, maybe? influenced deer movement but not necessarily to the point where it was you know okay i have i have the temperature i need i have the percent or i have the the sunny days i have the high wind velocity was there anything else like maybe a second tier uh, of data that influenced deer movement i did not okay
1: uh, in other words i looked at moon rise time moon set time moon phase uh looked at uh Temperature change, wind velocity, wind direction change. I looked at, at twenty-two or three some variables, and nothing else ever reached statistical significance in terms of predictive likelihood. Right, those three were tops. Temperature was by far and away number one. Uh, wind was was a close. Second, in other words, I'll put it this way. If you've got a cold, clear day, two variables that are correct, cold, clear day, that is still, it is poor hunting. So wind velocity turned out to be one of the really important variables that, for hunters' sake, we need to figure out a way to take into account and deal with. In other words, our tendency when it is cold and clear and windy is to not go hunting because it's so miserable.
0: Yeah, you you
1: just about can't get comfortable when you got a thirty mile an hour wind. Right. But but that's when we need to be out there. If we can figure out a way to clothe ourselves, or to conceal ourselves inside a shooting house, or do something to deal with the fact that we can just stay out there. The the statistical odds are in our favor when we
0: do that. Right, right. So those three are the are the biggest ones. Did in your data, did you ever run across any anomalies that you couldn't explain?
1: I don't know. Uh, those relationships I I really struggled with trying to make sure that I didn't assign the wrong reason to those relationships. Right. Uh, In other words, I couldn't help but wonder, is there some other variable built into the deer's genetics that causes them to get up and walk around in the daytime? And these variables like temperature are just simply carriers. They're, They're... anomalies they're they're not they're not the real reason the deer' getting up walking around they're just happen to be statistically related uh, right. see if I can think of another way of saying that uh uh they're instead of having a cause and effect relationship could it be that they're just um, uh statistically related right right and, and, and I could not make that happen. They, these three variables seem to be such strong indicators, predictors, if you will, of daytime deer movement, according to these hunters' experience. I couldn't, I couldn't make them go away. They do not look like anomalies. They are statistically really tight.
0: Okay. All right.
1: A confidence interval of zero, 0.09, about okay. one-tenth of a percent.
0: So we we've discussed the natural thing you know the natural occurrences that make uh deer move. Now on the flip side of that we introduce man and we introduce pressure. What kind of data or what did your data show when you started adding men and, or or hunters into the equation?
1: I don't think we have a mechanism in this database to measure that. Okay. I have I have an opinion about it, and, right. and I've written a lot about that over. And there's a lot in the book about my opinion about that. But that's not data-driven. That is opinion experience-driven. Gotcha. In other In other words, what I mean by that is you take two hunting clubs that have got a thousand acres, and that thousand acres is fenced, and there are a hundred deer in each fence. You have one hunter hunt one of those thousand acres, and you have forty hunters hunt the other thousand thousand acres. The one hunter will kill more deer than the other forty. Yeah. Well, you put you put pressure on a deer, and he will stay in the thickest thicket he can find in the daytime hours, and very quickly become virtually completely uh, nocturnal. Right. Okay. So hunting pressure, I believe dramatically alters what we see in the daytime and hunting pressure can be defined in a lot of different ways as you might guess I mean that if if you've got a bunch of people who just go out and wander through the woods that's sort of the worst possible scenario they do more damage to everybody's likelihood of taking the deer than anything else Um, so you know when when I, don't, I when I have my uh, let me put it this way, when I started my hunting club thirty years ago, I I knew enough at that point before I'd ever done this research to know that hunting pressure was a big deal. So we had six thousand acres and there were six of us. You know, pretty dang generous. Most most hunters don't enjoy that much latitude, but we the land the hunting land is, was cheap back then. It was about thirty five cents an acre. And so we could afford 6,000 acres. So when we set up the 6,000 acres, I told my people, now, all the leases are in my name, so I'm going to make the rules. This is a a benevolent dictatorship. It is not a democracy. And so I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break this 6,000 acres into six 1,000-acre blocks we're going to work the fields together we're going to work the roads together we're going to work on the clubhouse together we're going to do everything together until hunting season starts and then i don't want any of you in my thousand acres and i don't want any of you in anybody else's thousand acres. you hunt your thousand acres that whole hunting season and and that's the way we're going to set it up well how the protest immediately went up and said, no, 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 you'll pick, all, you'll pick the best 1,000 acres. I said, I thought you might say that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put all six names in a hat, and we're going to draw them out one at a time, and I'm going to take what's left. Well, it kind of quieted things down. And so that's the way we set up our hunt club. That's how important I think hunting pressure or the lack of hunting pressure is. Right. I don't go into my hunting areas to look at camera data, or for nor for any other reason. Once the hunting season comes in, the first time I hunt a spot is the only time I hunt that spot. Right. I hunt it one, I climb that tree one time, if I kill a deer, great. If I don't kill a deer, great. I don't go back to that tree again that hunting season. That's how fanatic I am about that hunting pressure issue.
0: Right. So so with that said, then, um, how many days a year do you hunt? I mean, because I love to hunt, regardless of what the, the temperature is telling me, right? Like, I just like to go out and enjoy yep. myself.
1: Yeah. But, most, most of us as hunters go hunting when we can go, not right. when every, all the conditions are just right. Right. Well, you know, I'm a physician. My practice was in a rural area. My office is, is 100 yards from my hunt club. So I can hunt every day, and I did. I hunted every stinking day. I went every morning before I went to the office and I went every afternoon when I finished for years. And all I did was kill a bunch of spikes and four Right. I made my herd nocturnal. So gradually as I began to realize the effect of the hunting pressure and the effect of the, these weather elements on the likelihood of taking a deer. So to answer your question 30 years ago, my answer was I went virtually every day. Today, this past hunting season, I probably went deer hunting 10 times. 10 times. 15 times. Yeah. Just, you know, a, fra- a tiny fraction of the number of days that I would have hunted when I was younger. Right. And all of it is simply based on those statistics. If I get up in there, and, and it's a... a a warm, hazy day, I go bass fishing. If I get up and there's a thirty mile an hour wind and it's twenty two degrees, I go deer hunting right right
0: so was this data collected throughout an entire year or just during the hunting seasons
1: just just during the hunting season,
0: okay, so as from the beginning of it to the end of it, how did the breeding season? Uh, of the white-tailed life cycle affect this data good question
1: in other words you're asking me what kind of an effect does the rut have on daytime deer move absolutely right okay that's a tough one but I know the answer and and this database by itself would not answer that question because the first thing you got to know is when were those does fetuses conceived? You have to know when did the rut really occur, and a hunter cannot determine that. It takes a biologist sectioning a doe's ovaries and seeing which ones are impregnated, and then backdating the size of that fetus to know exactly what Ten-day period during the hunting season was the rut for this particular region of the year of the of the country. Okay. In other words, ruts don't occur in the same time period in in all latitudes. They're all over the board. So the rut occurs where I hunt the ten days from December twentieth to to December thirtieth. Okay, it happens every year. Sometimes, as a hunter, that is evident by does being chased by bucks. Other years, you see no evidence of the rut occurring during that period, and yet, if you section the fetuses, the does ovaries, and find uh, and find out exactly when the conception occurred, it still occurs during that same ten-day period. So, why, the, as hunters? Why do you and I not see that evidence some years and we see it obvious other years? Right. The answer temperature. Yeah. Sometimes it happens to be cold during that 10 day period, and you as a hunter go out hunting and you see evidence of the rut going on. Other years, like this past season in Alabama, it was about 75 degrees for a solid week during that period, and we didn't see squat. So it depends on uh depends on the combination of the temperature that has some effect. And the but the but the rut in other words, you can go through certain hunting seasons like we did this year where the rut just simply doesn't help you. Right. Because the temperature is killing the effect of the rut on on the daytime deer movement. They're still impregnating the does, it's just all happening at night.
0: Right. Right, makes a lot of sense. So, 20 years worth of data collection, and that turned into a book. So, you you wrote the book, and, and now what? <laughs> I'm old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that lifetime, see, that's what my kids told me. They said, Dad, you've been doing this for more than 40 years. You have killed literally more than a 1,000 whitetails. I'll bet you there aren't 10 people in America that have taken that many whitetails. Nobody has the kind of experience-based plus research-based knowledge base that you have. You need to write this down for us and for other generations of kids that are going to grow up not knowing this information and nowadays in Alabama, you can only kill three deer in a season. Yeah. Well, crap! During most of my hunting time, we could kill two deer a day for a hundred and eleven days. We could kill a hundred and twenty deer in a hunting season. Man, now, I never killed that many, but I killed a truckload. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I, I, I get hate mail every time we do one of these things, whether publishing articles or podcasts, because hunters are just indignant that a hunter would take that many animals in a lifetime. Well, during, during a good 15 years of that time period, Alabama's deer herd was exploding so rapidly that biologists were begging us to take two deer a day every day during the entire season that we possibly could. I would kill sixty, seventy, eighty deer on my hunting land alone just to meet the requirements to stay on the state uh, uh, management program. Wow! So you, you, that that is just so unheard of these days that now our deer herds are way down from what they were back in the 1980s and 90s,
0: and and on
1: our place as well, and yet. I haven't killed a doe on my place in five years. So why, are the, why did our deer go away? Why did the deer population go down? It's not because we took them with, with a gun or a bow. And the answer is, we don't know. The mm-hmm. biologists are just simply, we don't know. We want to blame it on the codes. We, uh, we want to blame it on prions. We want to blame it on hoof and mouth disease, hemorrhagic. Zootic disease, you know, mm-hmm. we don't know, we don't know why the population is down, but it is, and it did not come from overhunting, in spite of the fact that some of us killed a truckload of deer. Yeah. So I don't make any apologies for the number of deer I've taken, it was just simply I was a product of the time. Right. Uh, that we had, we had huge deer herds, and to keep them even remotely in check, you had to kill a bunch of deer every year. Yeah. Particularly
0: if you had a big place like we did, six thousand acres. Right, right. Yeah. So did this I mean, other than, you know, the temperature, the 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 sunny days, you know, what we've already talked about, wind velocity, what are some other things that you've learned over the over this twenty years?
1: I'd say the most important. You know, I've I've got a slide that I use in a slide presentation. I didn't tell you this early on, but I've been teaching bow hunting schools since ni- every year consecutively since 1979. I've done a truckload of them. I've taught thousands of people to bow hunt. In doing that, I just simply got a lot of experience, and I've got this slide that. That prioritizes according to according to number one priority, about twenty things that are the most important things to know about your likelihood of being able to take a deer with a gun or a bow or black powder. And the, what 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 would you think is number one at the top of that list? I just give you a hint. It is not temperature.
0: Uh, days available. It to is hunt? so
1: obvious that people forget. Uh, all right, that's that's a good one. That that one would certainly be above temperature. If you couldn't go go but one day during the season, that, it it would make a lot of difference if you could. If what your statistical odds were that one day, you can only be so successful in one day of hunting. It it is even more elemental and basic than than that. It is deer herd. How many deer do you have to be killed? where right. you're going to hunt if you don't if you don't have a good place if there are, if you got a thousand acres and they're not the three deer on that thousand acres your statistical likelihood no matter whether you hunt the good days whether you hunt with a cannon or a bow you know you just simply not going to kill anything if they're not the fair right. right so spending your resources hunting a good place where there are some deer and there are some older age class deer, is key. That's number one. Number two is not temperature, not cloud cover, not wind velocity. Number two is reducing hunting pressure. In other words, going to a place where there's a good deer herd, but not overhunting that place. Right, And then number three would be temperature and then cloud cover and then wind velocity and you know work your way on down. Right. And right. the variables that don't matter are what kind of gun you shoot, what caliber you shoot, what velocity you shoot, what bow poundage you shoot, what kind of camouflage you wear, and on and on and on. Those things don't make a hill of beans difference. Right. I, I know that's not... You know, everybody loves the gadgets, and, and I've, you know, used my share of them over the years. But those those variables just don't matter. If you pay attention to those top four or five, you know, hunt a good place, hunt it infrequently, don't overhunt it. Hunt it under good weather conditions, you're going to be successful. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're falling asleep while you're out
0: there. Right. and that's And that's pretty awesome to hear, to be honest with you, that, you know, there's so much attention put on the, the products, gadgetry. the gadgetry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when oh, we all it doesn't them. matter I, at all. I
1: love, I love, it does, it really does. I, I had a, a film crew, a film crew from one of the camo companies. I won't say who it, it was, uh, back 20 years ago was at one of these commercial lodges with me one day, and I was standing in front of a crowd outside, and we were talking about, you know, where, where everybody ought to hunt and what this was a good day, and I felt like we were, all of us were going to get a shot. And uh, somebody asked the question about what I had. I had a green T-shirt, a light green T-shirt on, and the guy asked the question, what kind of camo were you going to use? And I said, I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm going to use any camo today. I'm just going to wear a brown shirt. And he said, won't the deer see you? And I said, yeah, they'll see me, but I'm going to kill them anyway. (laughs) So he said, I don't don't understand you. What do you mean they're going to see you? I said, well, they're going to see me whether I'm wearing a camouflage jacket or a brown jacket. It doesn't make any difference. If you just sit still at the right moments and move at the right moment, there is no difference in the statistical likelihood of the deer looking up, seeing you, and running. Based upon what color of clothing you have on now, is a white shirt easier to see than a dark camo suit? You're, well, sure, but I'm just saying if they're approximately the same tone, I don't think it matters. yeah, well, he just really got on my case about that he said i i just don't I just don't believe that. I said, well I tell you what dude. why don't you just come with me with the camel crew, and I'll put you in the tree next to me, and you see what happens when the deer gets to me. And it was a cold, windy afternoon. I felt pretty sure we were going to, you know, be able to kill something when we were bow hunting. So, I looked like a three-ring circus. I had two camera people and this extra hunter and myself trailing through the woods. we looked, sounded like a herd of elephants coming, I'm sure. <laughs> we got out there. It took us an hour or more to get all set up and in the trees and all set. But we finally got it. And the first deer around the end of the slough was a nice six-point. He he waded off into the slough and he kind of stopped a time or two and he kept coming and all of us were sitting still and i was talking to the film guy that was over my right shoulder and i had this young hunter off over my left shoulder and i was talking to them and i was just and i wasn't talking aloud but i was i wasn't whispering i was just talking and finally this this young hunter poked me in the ribs and he said how can how can you just talk like that and the deer not hear you? And I said, do you do you are you looking right at him? Does he sound like he's does he look like he's hearing what I'm seeing? And so that was another lesson that you know that kind of noise just doesn't matter. The deer I don't know why they don't pick up on it, but they just don't seem to. So he walked on up, got within about twenty yards of him, and he went behind a holly bush. And when he went behind the holly bush, I drew. When he come out the other side, I punched him through both lungs. He ran about 15 yards and stopped, stood there for about 10 seconds and fell over. I said, now, did he look like he was scared and running? (laughs) He said, I never would have believed that. So again, I just, you know, want to make the point that if you're going to pay attention to a bunch of details, just make sure they're the details that matter. Right. Don't don't spend all your money on gadgets and clothing that really don't matter. Now I love good fleece camo patterns. They just I like them. are just pretty, yeah. And I wear them, but it's not because I think they're going to make me kill more deer, because I don't. Right.
0: Man, that's some some very interesting information you shared with with us today. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and, and share this with us. And uh, if anybody wants to actually go out and buy your book, where should we send them?
1: Just go to Amazon, type in Shepherd and Whitetails. Shepherd you. spelled with two P's, S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D. But other than that, just go to Amazon. You can buy either a, a Kindle or an ebook or a book paper- paperback book any, any of those ver- versions were available on amazon
0: perfect well the title I, of the book is Flight Pit. perfect well i really appreciate you taking time today to uh to do this and uh let me just say good luck this upcoming season
1: well good luck to you and i hope, hope you can take some of this stuff and actually begin to to think about uh, what I've said, I love it. As you can tell, when we get to talking about the details, I can go forever.
0: Absolutely, uh,
1: it's it's just uh, it's eating up a bunch of my life.
0: And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Dr. Bob Shepard for hopping on and talking about the research. Exciting, awesome stuff. I love podcasts like this. I love science-based research. I don't know. I'm just a nerd, I guess. But huge shout out to all of you for taking time to download this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. Ripcord, Lone Wolf, Ozonix, Deer Lab, Prime Archery, Wasp Broadheads. I'm missing somebody. I'm forgetting this sucks. It's unprofessional. I'm having to do this in my garage, record this in my garage right now because it's raining outside. And like I said, I have a newborn who has taken over. He's not new anymore. I guess he's a, he's an eight month old who has taken over my office. So if I don't get to recording my podcast at the right time of day, then uh he takes over and i'm stuck to walk around uh, my garage like an idiot holding a microphone and talking into it but huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast please go out and support the the partners of this podcast because well they support this podcast so and plus a lot of them have discounts too man what else social media right i say this every time If, if you are a fan of this podcast and the sportsman's nation please Leave a review wherever you download your podcast. Five stars would be awesome. Social media, right? Instagram, Facebook. Please like, share, follow, click, blah, 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 blah. Too much talking. I'm done. I'm going to go edit this. I'm going to launch it. Take advantage of the Ozonics discount. Take advantage of the Exodus discount. And if you're going to be in a tree, please, for the love of God, people, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week.